Welcome to the May Contain Wine Podcast, brought to you by Wine, Women, and Wellbeing. I'm your host, Lisa Webb, and together we're going to get to know incredible women doing all kinds of interesting things. So grab a glass and get ready to be inspired by the amazing women in our global community. Elizabeth Gilbert is a critically acclaimed novelist whose immensely popular works of nonfiction expand our understanding of creativity, spirituality, and love. Oprah Winfrey called her a rock star author, and we agree. The world fell in love with Liz Gilbert for her memoir, Eat, Pray, Love. And then she blew us away once more when she taught us to lead brave, authentic, and creative lives through her book, Big Magic. Her TED Talk has 20 million views and is among the top 25 most popular of all time. We are honored to have her join us in Canada for Wine, Women, and Wellbeing's upcoming leadership conference. It was an absolute pleasure to sit down and record this podcast with Liz Gilbert, and I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Okay, hello, my friends. Today, I have a very, very special guest with me. I am speaking with Elizabeth Gilbert, who has, I will say, given me permission to call her Liz because we're friends like that now. Hi, Liz. How are you? Hi, sweetheart. How are you? I'm great. I yeah, if you called so me Elizabeth, good. I would think I was in trouble. Yeah. So we're, I we're feel a lot Liz more comfortable. Basis. Yeah. Perfect. Um, I, I want to talk to you because our, our women who listen to us, the ladies in our community, we are the go-getters, the change makers. We want to do things. And so we look up to the women like you who have made it. And you have so many accolades, but we, I know that we all start from somewhere. So my question for you is, was there a moment of crossing over when you recognized like, okay, I have really made it. Was there yeah, a specific that, time? Yeah. You know, I think making it is, is, is a series of things that happen but I can definitely point to the one where I feel like I could divide my life into my life before that happened and my life after that happened. And, and that occasion was the first time I was published. Um, and I had a short story published in Esquire magazine in 1990. Oh my gosh. It might as well be 1890 for how long ago it feels. Um, in 1993, 1994, I think it was 1994. Um, and, and that was the changing moment for me. Up until that point, I had, I, I look, I always called myself a writer mm-hmm. and I always knew that I was a writer and I always wrote, but I always had to couch that by saying that I was not a published writer. And then when that happened, somebody gave me a paycheck Mm-hmm. that cashed <laughs> and I was able to buy a charcoal gray cashmere sweater with it you know like like yeah. it was like this was money I had earned not from bartending not from waiting tables not from being you know an au pair not from being all the other things that I had done not from selling bracelets in a flea market this is money that I had earned by my art and everything changed after that not immediately but if that hadn't happened you know, that's it. Somebody's got it. Somebody has to bet on you before anybody else does. And, and they bet on me before anybody else did. And that was the beginning. Isn't that the truth? Somebody has to bet on you. And, and I love that. And what a good feeling that is 
because someone else is believing you in you other than just you believing in yourself. Right. Right. And so I imagine that there's hard things. There's still hard things now, I imagine, but the hard then and the hard now must feel pretty different. What was the hard then? Um, it was that it was youth. (laughs) (laughs) It was what it feels like to be 24, you know, like it was just, you know, I look back on that young woman and I didn't know how to do anything. I mean, all I knew how to, I knew how to write stories, um, but I didn't know how to write stories that were more than 10 pages long. I never could have imagined that I could someday write a novel. I never could have imagined that I could have someday made a living out of this, you know, but I, I, I knew that I had that thing. But apart from that, I will say that every other aspect of my life was confusion and drama. Um, that's what being 24 felt like to me. It, it, and I, I didn't know the simplest things. I didn't know how to, I didn't know how to choose friends. I didn't know how to choose romantic partners. I definitely didn't know how to choose romantic partners. I, I didn't, I didn't understand how to be a person of integrity. I didn't know how to tell the truth when it was difficult to tell the truth. I didn't, um, I didn't know how to self-soothe. I didn't know how to self-regulate my own emotions. I, I didn't know when to stop drinking. I didn't know, like there was so much that I, I, I just feel like I was this ta- this like grown up toddler walking around in the world. And um, so it takes a long time to learn how to grow up. Doesn't you know, it? That's it really, very relatable. It, the grown up toddler it thing really, really does. I mean, I, I think I felt like a grown up toddler until about four years ago. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the hard for me now is. Um, because I think that. Some people might look at you and think, well, like we said earlier, she's made it. So her life is easy now because of this, that, and the other thing, but everyone's life is hard in in its own way. And just because you're successful in certain things, things are still difficult, maybe just on a different scale. Yeah. I mean, let's be, let's be clear. I live a life of incredible privilege and, and I, you know, everything that is hard for me is cushioned by the things that are easy for me. So my Mm -hmm. success has made even the hard things easier. Um, and, and, and the big, I mean, the, the, the second really big change in my life after that initial publication was of course the, the success of Eat, Pray, Love, which, mm-hmm. which guaranteed that I was really, unless I decided to be a real bozo about it, that I was like set that I could, mm-hmm. I paid my mortgage. I'm, I'm speaking to you from the house that I bought with the money from the movie rights that I bought, paid for in cash that I, I'd never, I knew that I would never again have to worry about where I was going to live, which was a big part of my young life too. Like, how am I going to support myself? So I want to just be really clear that, you know, those hardships don't, don't exist for me. And I'm, and I'm very grateful that they don't, but, you know, I still have one of my best friends who's 34 years old and is in the hospital with a really bad case of leukemia. And we're waiting to see if her bone marrow transplant worked. You know, I, I still have family members who I have a really difficult time relating to um, that still push the same buttons that they pushed 20, 30, 40 years ago that still make me feel like a grown-up toddler when I'm around them because I'm like, wow, what happened to my attainments? I was such a, <laughs> I, like just yesterday, I, w- I was a grown woman who was so composed and now 
I'm back with these people that I'm related to and I've lost all of my dignity and where did it go? And where did my wisdom go? And why am I triggered like this? You know, um, so, so life is still in session, you know? Um, right. But I would say that, the, that unless you're really not paying attention, unless you're like actively not paying attention, it's difficult to not become wiser as you become older um, because like, you know, we're here on earth school and earth school is a really tough school and it takes many, many, many years to go through the curriculum. And most of the things that happen to me now at the age of 52, I've already been through. Um, whereas at the age of 24, I'd never heard of any of it. <laughs> I was like, what's grief? Ah, I don't know what to do, you know? And now I'm like, oh, here's grief. I remember this, you know? Um, so the more things that, that, that you've been through in earth school, I think it's not that it gets easier. I think there's a deeper level of trust that I have that I've seen something. If I haven't been in this exact movie before, I've seen it. I've been in similar scenes and you can start to draw on a deep, um, a deeper well. But, but you, look, nobody, nobody gets through this life without suffering. Nobody gets through this life without loss. And, and nobody gets through this life without facing things where they feel like they're at the end of their power and they don't know how to get to go on. And, and none of us are excused from that. But, but yeah, things are um, in many ways a lot easier than they were back then. Did, was there some surprises that came with the success that you weren't expecting? Like some of those maybe difficulties that came because of the success like social media and, and the world that we live in now is such a different place. And people sometimes forget that there are people on the other side of those accounts and, and that people who have success are people with feelings as well. How did you navigate that piece of becoming famous where people knew your name right away? Well, I, I was lucky in that I got famous before social media, believe it or not. That's how old Eat, Pray, Love mm -hmm. is. If we're going back oh gosh, almost 17 years now. And so all of that happened without a social media presence, which um, is was really lucky <laughs> because I don't know that I would have managed it correctly. Um, and so I sort of grew up with social media. I was a late adopter. Um, I came in maybe eight or nine years ago to social media and then I came in hard and strong. Um, but I was a pretty formed human being by that point. It's not that I didn't make any mistakes, but I wasn't, again, going back to the difference between, you know, the wisdom of being older and the wisdom mm -hmm. of being younger. There was a little bit, a little bit of a sense of what you don't show people and a little bit of, a sense of what you, of what you do. And I also had been pretty battered by criticism. You pray love was very successful, but it was also very criticized. Um, and, and there were a lot of people who really hated that book. And, um, and so I had received a lot of criticism, which also um, was a very honing experience um, in terms of learning how, not even how to handle criticism, but in some ways how to um, avoid is a strong word. That's not really it. How to not, how to not, how to not volunteer to, to, to get more of it than you need. Um, so for instance, I learned not to read my book reviews. <laughs> Um, you know, it just seemed like a really wise thing not to read my book reviews. It's too late. First of all, I already wrote the book. No matter what they say about it, I can't fix it. And it's, it's a, it's a review of something that I like, what do I get out of reading a book review right. of my book? Um, I already know what it's about. I wrote it. It's either going to praise me, which isn't good for me because it, it builds up this artificial sense that I'm more important than I am, or it's going to attack me, which isn't good for me <laughs> because it builds up a sense that I'm worse than I am. 
and and so there's no benefit, you know. Um, and I critics have to exist, and they're allowed to, but I don't need to engage with them, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think having gone through that on the book side, once I got into social media, it made it easier for me to not get in arguments in the comment section. You know? Right. How about maybe don't read the comment section? How about you know just ways to protect? Um, and it's also my obligation as a steward of my creativity that I have to um, I have to protect you know, I'm pretty sensitive. So I have to protect myself from seeing things that will stop me from doing my calling. Um, so if I, if I, for instance, Google my name to see what people are saying about me, it's very likely that I'll have a difficult time writing tomorrow because what will be in my head is, is all the stuff that they said about me. So it's, it's, it's one of the ways that I honor my calling as, a, as an artist is to um, protect the artist from that information. And when I went to my new publishing house, I told them that and I was like, I quoted to them this line that the great, late great novelist John Updike said, um, reading your book reviews is like eating a sandwich that might have some broken glass in it. I would say that that is also the case of reading commentary on social media. It's like eating a sandwich that might have some broken glass in it. So just decide whether you want to roll the dice on that. That's fantastic (laughs) advice. It really is. It is such fantastic advice, especially right now when the world feels a little bit heavy, a little bit unstable and people people are dealing with a lot. So sometimes it doesn't come out in the nicest ways. So that is wonderful advice. I want to ask you, if not writing, what, where would your life have gone? Do you think if you decided to not be a writer or was that just not an option? It was never going to not, I was never going to be a writer. Now I might've not been a published writer and, um, and, and that was certainly always a possibility, but I was never not going to be a writer. It's, it's, it has never crossed my mind, you know, even from the age of eight or nine, this is what I loved and, and what I wanted to do. And I, I will say that I, you know, I had people in my life who were concerned about that for me and who um, felt like that was a, you know, a bad career choice. I mean, nobody ever went into any field in the arts because you know, older, wiser people said like, that's where the money is, go be a novelist. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it doesn't, it's a, you know, it's a very unstable profession. Any of those professions are very unstable, but also let's be honest, the whole world is unstable and, and nothing is promised to us. And the one thing that I knew that I knew how to do was support myself. Um, I grew up with a mother who, I mean, I don't think I'm using the word like mission too strongly that she made it a mission to make sure that her daughters knew how to take care of themselves completely. That it was really important to her that we be resourceful and that we be independent. She had grown up in the Midwest, you know, right after the depression basically was surrounded by a lot of poverty and a lot of hardship. And she saw what happened to girls and women who depended on men um, for their well-being, And, and many times they were in a lot of trouble after that. Mm -hmm. And she just, I mean, she had a kind of parent, there was almost a level of paranoia about it. I mean, but it's not paranoia if it's accurate and the world that she had grown up in had taught her that no one will ever take care of you. And that if you rely on somebody else to take care of you, you're making yourself very vulnerable. And um, so she drove that into us in a really strong way. And so I, I always knew that I would, could always provide for myself. 
So when people said like, well, how, are you going to be a starving artist? I'm like, why would I be a starving artist? That's dumb. I'll be a bartender. <laughs> you know, like I, I grew up in a, on a farm. I'm really frugal. I don't need to, you know, I'll live in a studio apartment and be a bartender and eat very well. Thank you. Like there's no reason yeah. to starve. I, I knew that I could look after me. And, and that gave me the power to not be anxious about trying to figure out how this thing that I loved was going to pay for my life. If I could provide for my life in other ways, then I could do this thing on the side. And if it turned out to take care of me, then great. And if not, I was going to do it anyway. <laughs> so, so that was a decision that I made very early on. Perfect. And the last question I want to ask you is what advice do you have for women or anyone really who might be listening, who is in that stage where they haven't quite got published yet, they haven't come to the before and after moment and they're just disheartened or maybe they're not, or maybe they're wondering if it's ever going to happen for them. And they're, they're in that kind of purgatory of their creativity. Do you have any advice for them? First of all, I love you, whoever is in that place and you hear my voice right now. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and it's difficult, but the question that has to be asked, and I, I had six years of rejection letters before I got published, got a file of them still, um, is what is the alternative? So that's the question. If you don't, I mean, we have to do something with our hours. We have to do something with our days. We have to do something with our lives. So if you take this thing out that you love, that you're pursuing, and you decide that you're not going to pursue it anymore because it's, it's too hard or it hasn't brought you the rewards that you want, or you don't think it's working out. First of all, you're totally allowed to quit, by the way. Like, I don't, I don't want to put any shame on that. Like there are lots, I'm, I, <laughs> I have a friend who describes me as a black diamond quitter. I've like quit so many things in life. I've quit marriages, <laughs> I've quit whole cities, I've quit certain career paths. I've quit, you know, like I'll put something down if it's not working for me. But, but if I loved, if I love something, like if, let's just use writing as the example, all those years of rejection letters. Um, I could quit because I'm tired of being disappointed, but then well, then the question that you have to ask is, what are you now going to, to do? Um, is there anything that you care about more than this that you would like to do more that's more interesting, that's more exciting? Go ahead and do it. If this is still the thing that lights you up, um, why quit just because it's not quote unquote working? Like, who does it have to work for? Right. You know, and and, and the, the position that I took with it was, um, I would like to have something published. I remember very vividly deciding this in my early 20s. I would like to have something published by the time I'm dead. So people in my family have a really long lifespan. So I was like mm-hmm. 22. My grandmother just died a couple of years ago at 102. So my the bar grandfather was, was almost, I mean, I had a lot of time. So if <laughs> I'm going to, if I'm going to go into like a temper tantrum over every rejection letter from the New Yorker who still haven't published me 30 years later. Anyway, (laughs) if I, if I'm going to go into a temper tantrum about every rejection letter and be like, Oh my God, it's over. It's over. That's taking a very short view of my life. And the long view of my life was, you know, I, I love this. I love this craft and I want to engage with this. And I've got by my estimate, unless I step out in front of the potato chip bus, as we call death in my family, (laughs) unless I accidentally step out in front of the potato chip bus, I've got a good 80 years left before I need to start worrying that I'm running out of time. So slow down, you know, um, take the long view, anything that's worth doing. And there's, you know, there's an urgency and an anxiety that comes when you don't get what you want or when you feel like you're failing, but nothing that is important 
in your life is urgent. Nothing that's important is urgent and nothing that feels urgent is important. So if it's important, take urgency away from it and just let it go at its own pace and give it all the time it wants and all the time it needs. And if it feels urgent, that's just your mind making up a story about how things have to happen in a certain time frame, and they don't. Um, and you know, as long as you, as long as you're providing for yourself and taking care of yourself, keep going. What, what else are you gonna do? Exactly. Just watch TV. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> do the craft instead. Do the craft. Okay, Liz, we have a couple of rapid fire questions that we ask the ladies at the end of every podcast. Can I ask sure. you a couple of questions? Mm-hmm. Okay. If you could sit down and have a conversation with one woman, living or dead, who would it be? Wow. My grandmother who died when I was 15 years old, Grandma Nini. Yeah. What is your go-to well-being or self-care practice? Meditation slash prayer. Um, I'm going to put them in the same category. Absolutely. Your favorite book or podcast recommendation? Oh, um, let's see. What can what is a great book that I've read recently? Um, I always want to plug somebody who's got a new book out. Okay, um, let's say uh, a really a really good book right now is called Joan is Okay. It's by a writer named Wecky Wang. And it's super funny and very beautifully written. And it just came out and I would recommend that one. It's Thank called you. Joan is okay. Uh-huh. Joan is okay. What does sisterhood mean to you? Deep years long trust. And last one, what advice would you give to your 16 year old self? Absolutely nothing that she would have listened to. <laughs> <laughs> That's so it perfect. doesn't even matter. <laughs> She's not listening to anything anybody says ever. What 16 year old ever listened to a 15 year old? I know, not at all. And also if she hadn't made all the mistakes she made, that goes for all my past ages, I wouldn't be who I am now. So I would just have to look back at all the iterations of my younger self and say, oh, honey, that's going to hurt, but just go ahead and do it. And I'll meet you here when we grow up. <laughs> that's beautiful. That's perfect, actually. Very well said. <laughs> Liz, thank you so much for taking the time to be with me here today, for talking to our community. We appreciate it so much, and we cannot wait to see you in Calgary. See you soon. Bye. Bye. Today's episode of May Contain Wine is brought to you by The Sister Brand. Real-life sisters Lana and Laura empower women everywhere to design your life. From interiors to business branding, The Sister Brand inspires not only new spaces, but renewed mindsets. Follow The Sister Brand on Instagram, now offering e-consults worldwide and full-scale design services in the Edmonton area. You can find their trademarked woman-up apparel at thesisterbrand.com. Thanks for listening, friends. If you like what you've heard, subscribe and recommend us to a friend. Head to winewomenwellbeing.com to find out more about what our community is all about and reach out to us on social media. We'd love to connect. Until next time, stay classy, stay kind.